Next on BYUSN, which is more likely? BYU men's basketball halfway through their Big 12 schedule going 9-9, and 10-8. What do you think as they enter the final stretch? And speaking of the NCAA tournament, how many more wins does BYU need before they can be considered a lock for the tournament? One of the greatest sports stories in BYU history is Connor Mance and Clayton Young finishing 1-2 and two at the Olympic trials and punching their tickets for Paris. They're both in studio with us today. Plus, 800 wins and counting. It's opening day for BYU softball. We'll hear from head coach Gordon Eakin as his Cougars step up to the Big 12. It's game day. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Thursday, February 8th. I am Spencer Linton, and he is a big fan of the Ten Commandments and apparently something called Sarah, Sarah. which is on your sweatshirt, Dave McCann. I endorse all the Ten Commandments (laughs) and encourage everyone to live them. Um, Years ago, when I was a student at BYU, uh, I took Communications 316 that required you to go learn how to do stories. Yeah. So at the Sierra Theater in Orem, they had the Ten Commandments. It had been digitized. And Arnold Freiberg's work was on display. And Charlton Heston was the special guest. No kidding. So I went to the Sierra and interviewed Charlton Heston. I interviewed Moses. It was me and Moses face to face. And that was my work assignment for 316. Now, years later, I'm still doing stuff at BYU. And I'm on the board of directors at the CIRA. There you go. Uh, but I'm going to take the Moses theme one step further okay. and say, holy Moses, did you see that game last That night? was unbelievable. BYU beats 18th-ranked Baylor at the Marriott Center. You were on the call. It's 78-66. So the question then is, who was the Moses character that delivered BYU out of last <laughs> place in the Big 12 last night? Was it Lauren Gustin's 23 points, 16 boards? Was it the freshman Amari Whiting, Kaylee Woolston, or Emma Calvert off the bench, each scoring 14? You were on the call. It was their best game of the yes, year. Yes. Their biggest win in two years, maybe more. And uh, what, a, what a phenomenal night. Well, if we're going to tab somebody as clearing a path, it's probably Lauren Gustin and the way she plays her game, but what a celebration in the locker room after just a monumental win. So Easily. after the game, you talked to, to Amber White. Yes, she is sopping wet, like chin <laughs> quivering. She's so cold, but just has a huge smile on her face. You could just see, like, because BYU was so close on more than a few occasions to getting that signature win in the Big 12, and really the first signature win in the Amber Whiting era. They had just come up short again and again and again, and they finally had a massive breakthrough against a legitimate top 20 team, a Baylor team that was ranked in the top five earlier this season, and they're trying to find their way a little bit. The Bears were were a massive favorite last night, and BYU ran them out of the building. Bears led two to nothing. That was it. That was it. They trailed by 10 at the end of the first quarter. BYU was up 14 at halftime, up 13 after the third quarter, and they win by 12. So they just maintained that lead. And here's your stat of the day, Dave. When BYU women's basketball wins the first quarter this season, they are 11-1. and one. Wow. Win the first quarter! Yeah. What a crazy trend. Just call it good after the first quarter. As you were calling the game with Kristen, uh, it was end of the first quarter. I'm like, well, that was their best first quarter. Then, well, that was their best half. And then at the end of the third quarter, they held on, <laughs> which, was, which was something they've struggled to do. And then in the fourth quarter, they got it done. Four full quarters of yes. good play. You get a big win. Maybe they turn a corner, and all BYU fans hoping that BYU men's basketball can turn a corner in the back half of Big 12 play, which takes us to this moment. Rise and shout. Let's hoop it up and watch trending. BYU, the Troopers get out of it. Transition triple now. There you go. 
There you go. Robinson pole, fire, and score for three. BYU gets more than nine conference wins. Elite. What's Trending presented by Tim Daly Nissan, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. Nine games down, nine to go for the BYU men in Big 12 play. They are exactly halfway through conference, Dave. Four wins, five losses in one of the more difficult schedules of any Big 12 team, certainly in the top half of the toughest schedules played of all Big 12 teams. The Cougars certainly positioned to make the NCAA tournament. They're a six seed in Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology playing in Pittsburgh. Not an ideal city, but whatever. We're not going to complain. You're You're in, and you're a six seed, and you should have a decent matchup there. All that said, given the Cougars played through the first nine games, let's discuss a few different things and probabilities. And we'll ask what's more likely in each of these specific topics as we push through what's trending. Beginning with this, Dave, what's more likely – BYU finishes in the top five or the bottom five of the Big 12 basketball standings. I'm going to say top five. Ooh. And the reason being is I don't know if they can get to the top five, maybe six. Like okay. right now, if they were if they were nine and nine, they might be behind Texas Tech and the Red Raiders and have the tiebreaker. But if you defend the home floor, you got five games at home. You defend the home floor, gets you to nine wins no matter what happens on the road. Nine is going to be closer to the top five than the bottom five. You think? You okay. That. Because a lot of those, those teams in the bottom five are going to surrender. So West Virginia's got to come to Provo. Oklahoma State's got to come to Provo. Texas is all over the place. I think if they can defend their home floor, they can get to nine, and nine puts them closer to the top five and out of the bottom Okay. Five. Okay. What do you think? Well, again, there's so much parity. Like, there's a lot of logic in that statement. But right now... Like, we're all thinking, hey, BYU played pretty well the first half of yeah. Big 12 play. They are tied for 10th, which would qualify as bottom five, five right now. Yeah, to climb out of that bottom five, you probably need to be 9-9. Nine and nine. I think 8-10, and 10, you're probably going to finish tied for ninth, maybe tied for 10th, something like that. That's how good the conference is. Right. And so, if we're playing probabilities here, ah, I, I hate for this to come off sounding negative because it's not. Well, the really? conference is so good. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I'm channeling my realist here. I, I feel like bottom five is probably a little more likely at this point because I think that BYU would need to be 11-7 and seven to finish in the top five. I think the, the team that wins the Big 12 is going to have 12 or 13 wins. They'll be 13-5 and five or 12-6, and six, just like Kansas did last year. It's probably going to be Houston. Yeah. They, they've won the tough games. Houston is most, pacing. They, they've won some big games. Yeah. And so Houston, I think they probably go 13-5. and five. At worst, 12-6, and six, they win the conference. And it's going to be kind of a logjam after that. I think there might be a couple of teams that are 12-6 and six, and then two or three teams that are 11-7. and seven. BYU would probably need to be in that grouping to finish technically in the top five. Asking BYU to go 11-7 and seven means they need to go, man, that means they need to go 7-2 and two in the back nine. Yeah, that's asking That is asking so much. And so I'm leaning bottom five, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's this gray area. There's 14 teams, five up here, five down yeah. there. There's the gray area in the middle. That's where I think they can get. Yeah, I, again, these questions are set up to make to force us to feel uncomfortable mentally, right? Like, oh, you got to pick one or the That's other. That's another one. Where are you going? What's more likely, BYU finishes with a record above 500 or below 500? Okay, so while I think it's more likely that BYU would finish in the bottom five of the standings, I do think that numerically and the way the schedule shakes out in the back half that 
BYU has a better chance to finish above 500 than they do below 500 because 9-9 nine and nine feels imminent to me. I believe that BYU is going to win five of the back nine. With the opponents, they play Oklahoma State twice. They get Kansas State and UCF on their home floor in the next two games. Then they play at Oklahoma State. There, there are winnable games for BYU in the back nine. Nine and nine feels imminent. So if you could steal one more, then you're 10 and eight. You finish above 500. Probably not in the top five, but maybe you're in the top half of the conference. And so I'm, I'm leaning it's more likely they go above 500. What do you think? I've got them going below Okay. I'm going below, but just a game below. Okay, eight and ten. Um, I, I think it's asking a lot. You you got those five games at home, but two of them are against Baylor and TCU. And TCU just depending on what night they can beat anybody in the league. TCU a lot is of these legitimate. Teams are. And and the, and the, you know what? The others aren't cream puffs. Uh, UCF uh, had the ball down by one in the game in Orlando. Um, you know, and we'll see what Kansas State has to offer uh, on Saturday night, but. Um, they're likely to go four and one and grab one and three on the road. Uh, that would get them to nine and nine, and yeah. that's going to be a tough ask. Okay. So maybe one game under that, which still gets them in the NCAA tournament. For sure. I mean, even an eight and 10 league right. record would put BYU in the bracket for sure. Okay. This is fun. Let's keep it going. <laughs> What's more likely, speaking of the NCAA tournament, BYU is a six seed in March Madness or better, or a seven seed or worse when it comes to the eventual bracket. I've got six seed or better because going back to that gray area of being nine and nine or eight and 10, um, I think gets you a six or a five and a six or a five is, uh, gets you a, a good opponent, uh, but not a, not a juggernaut opponent. Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. And all of a sudden you got an opportunity to advance in the, in the tournament. But, um, you know, and then they go to the Big 12. Let's say they get a couple of wins in Kansas City. They get up to 23 wins. 23 and 12 in the first year of the Big 12? Fantastic. We'll have a parade around here. <laughs> and they'll get a seed. I think, I think they can get a seed of, of five or six. Um, and I think that's a likely scenario for me. I, I know that there is this pipe dream floating out there that BYU could be a five seed and playing in Salt Lake City. That would be... Well, like, you know who keeps floating? It's Joe Lenardi. Yeah, the most ideal scenario, right? Yeah. Now, what Joe Lenardi knows well and what happened this week is he slid BYU down a line to the sixth seed because of BYU's requirement to play only in Thursday-Saturday scenarios. So the committee is not going to punish another team to make room for BYU to jump up because BYU chooses not to play on Sunday. They will always, and this is unfortunate, but it is what it is for BYU, the Cougars sometimes will slide down a seed line just because they have to play in a Thursday-Saturday right. scenario. If they were open to anything, then they'd stay true to their overall ranking. But, yeah, the, the sixth seed in Pittsburgh, to me, still feels more likely than a five seed in Salt Lake City. But the question is, is it six or better or seven or worse? Nine and nine would do the trick. If BYU can get to nine conference wins, I believe they will be a six seed once again. Like that seems to be like the number for Mark Pope because before COVID shut down the 1920 season, BYU was pacing to be a six seed. In the next season, when Matt Harms came as a transfer and Alex Barcelo went nuts, BYU was a six seed. So (laughs) for whatever reason, that kind of seems to be the area. It'd be nice to be higher than that. It may require... 99 and going to Kansas City and winning at least one game. Before this team went to Italy, and if they were given the proposition, would you like to be in the play-in game of the NCAA tournament? Would you take that if we offered it to you right now? And then say, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And so now we're debating whether a six or a five is fair yeah. uh, or a seven because of how they've played. Yes. Oh, and we do need to update this. It was Joel Lenardi had BYU as a six seed in Pittsburgh two days ago. As of this morning, new bracketology. Cougars back up onto that five-seed line. You, he's the guy. He's okay. the instigator. All right. He's it's your guy. fault, Joe. He's the guy that gets everyone going, <laughs> maybe there's a chance. The net today is eight. The net is what they actually use, this committee. The primary to sorting the tools. Yeah, it's the primary sorting so tool. You're number eight, and you've lost six games, uh, and, and you're in the bottom half of the Big 12, and you're number eight today. BYU needs to beat Kansas State on Saturday to remain in the human polls. The Associated Press poll on the coaches' rankings. Uh, but the net and Kim Palm, I mean, honestly, win or lose against Kansas State, those numbers are not going to move a ton because the resume is there. Like, the body of work is in large part there. But, yeah, it'd be nice for BYU to maybe hop back up in the top ten of the Ken Palm one spot with a win over Kansas State. But that net ranking, as you pointed out, is super, super strong. All right, let's go next level. But let me preface this with, uh, through nine games, they're four and five in the Big 12. Through nine games last year, they were four and five in the WCC. Arguably with the same guys. I know. A credit to these players that have turned it up more than a few notches. <laughs> so where we can have this conversation, which leads us into this question. Yes. What's more likely, BYU wins two games in the Big 12 tournament or two games in the NCAA tournament? <laughs> I want my blue goggles on for this a little bit. <laughs> but if we're talking hypotheticals, and we very much are, just because it depends on matchups right. and the NCAA tournament with 68 teams in the field, by nature of it, has more variables to accommodate potential favorable matchups and a good seed for BYU, then I'm going to lean to the NCAA tournament. How many times do we see a team that, you know, they might win an upset game in the first round and then because somebody else has been upset, now you have, okay, uh, a seven seed. Um, beats a 10 seed, and it's like, okay, and then a 15 upset to two, and now the 7 seed gets the benefit of facing a 15 seed that just pulled off a massive Hello, upset. Hello, Florida Atlantic. And the, exactly. And San Diego State. Uh, exactly, yeah. right? And then they're into the Sweet 16, just like thing. that. Like, there are so many variables, and it's so unpredictable that compared to the Big 12 tournament, where it is like, we know what BYU is going to get. No, no matter who they play in the first round or the second round or whenever BYU starts play in the quarterfinals, it will be a very difficult, challenging game. Yeah. Like, that is a guarantee, whereas the NCAA tournament kind of feels like you never really know what you're going to get. And if you know it's a team that doesn't defend the three-point line well, good night. BYU's moving on to the next round, and they'll have a good shot to get to Sweet 16. I'm going to go NCAA tournament because for, for the, the biggest reason is every coach that BYU has played this year, especially the ones that BYU has defeated, has said, oh, they're, they're so tough to guard. They're so tough to keep up with. So in the Big 12, there's really a chance BYU's going to come up with a team, an opponent that's played them twice. Yeah, and that's or so once. tough. It's so, so tough. so they've got them figured out. But you take them out and put them in the NCAA tournament where they're playing a team that hasn't played them this year, and they are tough to guard, and they are hitting their shots, as, as you mentioned. Um, there's a chance uh, to, to win a couple of games, and then who knows. Uh, and because of the lack of familiarity. Yes. And that's what I like about this team, because when they're hitting, it's a circus, you know, and, it, <laughs> and, it's, and it's a blast to watch. And, uh, of course, you've got to be hot in an NCAA tournament uh, to advance, but... But when you haven't played them before, I like BYU's 
advantage. Now, BYU can go to the Big 12 and win two games against teams they have played before and defeated this season. That, that's all quite possible. But I like the, hey, I'm not quite sure about these yes. guys, uh, to get two. They're just more variables. Yeah. So many potential good matchups there. Okay, let's bring football into this conversation for the final which is more likely question. And we don't know who the starting quarterback's going to be. And there are a lot of questions to be answered. But what is more likely? BYU basketball finishing this season with a winning record in the Big 12. Okay, so 10 and 8 or better. Or BYU football finishing next Big 12 season with a winning record of at least 5 and 4. I'm going football. Okay. Because they've done it before. Not, not having a winning record, but they've been through. Okay, they, they, know, they know the grind. They know the grind. They get five home games, uh, and they've stacked up on defense, uh, which I think uh, uh, is I – mean, Blaine's, Blaine, Blaine's big on this defense. They, I think it's one of be the top defenses in the league, but they've stacked up on defense. So I'm going to go football. Now, next year, when basketball goes through for the second time, with just about everybody back and the addition of Colin Chandler – then basketball is going to have a really good second year. But if you ask him between the two, I'd go with the veterans have been there, done that, yeah. uh, and I get five home games at Lavelle Edwards Stadium with the new field. I'm going football on that. These are, again, strategically tough questions because percentage-wise it's like, man, I mean, we're splitting hairs when right. we're trying to pick, especially between basketball and football. Like basketball could very likely go 10-8. and eight. Like they could surprise us. Like the schedule sure. lightens up to a degree in the back nine. But I'm leaning football here, too, for a couple of the reasons that you mentioned. Yes, improved defense. This is year two for Jay Hill. He has gone absolutely bonkers in a good way with recruiting and getting guys. Maybe his best recruiting job is getting some key cogs to come back and play again. And And he added a few key pieces through the transfer portal. The defense is going to be better. And if we're being fair, it's going to be difficult for BYU's offense to have worse season-long analytics compared to last year. They just really weren't an explosive offense. They were an opportunistic offense at times, taking key turnovers and turning them into immediate points, but they were not an explosive offense. They will be better there, too. And then most of the tougher teams that BYU faces in Big 12 play are in Provo. So there you go. And five Big 12 home games. So let's have an awesome spring, a short summer, and a fantastic fall. I want it all. I want both teams to finish above 500. Okay. Is that that, uh, asking too much? Maybe. But that's what I I want. (laughs) (laughs) Our question of the day. Call your shot. We've been discussing variables and likelihoods, probabilities. What is the most unlikely thing that BYU men's basketball will do in the back half of Big 12 play? What do you think? Okay. Eric Jacks on Instagram says, have a winning record in conference play. Okay. So uh, I'm not sure if he's referencing specifically the back nine, meaning they'll go five and four, or if he's just talking overall, they'll finish at 10 and eight. Either way, I would take both of those scenarios. At JuiceCan on Instagram says, get to the semifinals of the Big 12 tournament. That would be wild. To get to the final four of the Big 12 tournament? Yeah. That means you've at least won two in Kansas City. Yeah, and you might have Maybe to win three. three to get there. I'm talking about bolstering your seed, getting that Salt Lake City bid. If it's raining threes in Kansas City, you know, <laughs> all bets are off. They can, they can keep moving. Man, I would take one win in that tournament. <laughs> Hashtag BYUSN on X, Facebook, and Instagram to join the conversation. Hey, before we get to the Kansas State game Saturday night at the Marriott Center, we have BYU basketball with Mark Pope tonight at 830. 
on the BYU TV app. The coach and Atiki Ali Atiki to join Greg Rubel on previous Saturday night. Do you think at some point in the show, Greg will throw an assist up in the air and Tiki will jump 15 feet and <laughs> throw that thing down, missing the backboard just barely as he shifts his head? I would never put anything by what Mark Pope is capable of on this show. <laughs> up next, two soon-to-be Olympians, Connor Mance and Clayton Young, stole the show over the weekend. They're going to Paris, and they're joining us in Studio B next. Look at that American flag draped around him. Awesome! Don't go anywhere. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is sponsored by the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B. I'm Spencer Linton, teamed up with Dave McCann. And right now it is our privilege to welcome in two of the newest qualified Olympians for Team USA, Distance Stars, Connor Mance and Clayton Young, um, amazing run, gentlemen. Just first and foremost, congratulations on an unforgettable weekend. Thanks. Yeah, thank Thanks, you so much. Okay, uh, both of you kind of, you know, you're probably too modest and too humble here. So, like, let's hype it up a little bit. But <laughs> what was the feeling like when you both realized, oh, my gosh, we're going to cross one and two as former BYU teammates and we're going to Paris? Connor, we'll start with you. Uh, I think, like, Mid-race, I got really excited because I was like, all right, like Clayton and I have this. Around 18 miles, I was like, sweet, it's just Clayton, me, and one other guy, we have this. And then I got really nervous. I was like, oh, no, like nothing's for sure until you cross that finish line. So I just had to work on uh, staying present, making sure I could finish and, and uh, not have anything dramatic happen. Clayton, same question for you. Yeah, I think it was the same moment. And about eight miles to go is when Connor Mance turned around and tried to give me a high five. And at first, I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> uh, but then uh, I realized that you know, he wanted a high five. And, and that's when I realized Connor was still Team Clayton and that we were going to do this together. Uh, but like Connor said, that's, that's still eight miles to go. That's a long ways to go. And it really started to sink in about a mile to go for me. If you go watch the broadcast, like I was absolutely enjoying every moment of it. Almost maybe a little bit too much. Um, and, uh, but we, we got across the finish line, one, two, and, and that's all that matters. There's a great picture of you and Coach Eyestone draped around the stars and stripes, um, which symbolizes a whole lot of things, including a lot of miles having run between the starts of your careers to, to this very moment. So as the three of you are together, what, what are those emotions going? It, it, was, it was pretty incredible. It, it was one where there was just so much emotion. A lot of it was, um, was a little lower than it than I probably would have liked that I just came from the fatigue of running 26.2 <laughs> miles. But How dare you be yeah, tired of that? I'm sorry. I was tired. <laughs> um, but it was, it was pretty special. And we had Jared Ward around us, too, who was a you know, 2016 Olympian in the marathon and been a big mentor to us. So having Jared and Coach Eyestone there is kind of like our mentors and our coaches has been pretty special. Was it patriotic? moment or was it uh, a BYU moment or was it just four runners in a moment? Probably a little bit of both. Like I definitely was like thanking America on live television like for having us you know be there. Like one of my favorite moments actually of the race is probably with about half mile to go I veered off to the right to try to go grab an American flag because I wanted to run in with an American flag because yeah. uh, that's what I visualized that's what I dreamed of and uh, you know famous runner Meb Kaflesky that's what he had done in previous Olympic trials and I sadly didn't grab one in time, and, and we ended up celebrating. But to have the American flag draped over you at the finish line with your teammate, and then, yeah, Coach Eyestone and Jared Ward, that was, that was very, very special to us. 
So we've talked to our good friend Jimmer Fredette, who has qualified for the Olympics in 3x3 basketball. Now we now, know three Olympians. Hey, all right. You, yes, you have now taken it to officially three, which is fantastic. That's good company. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. We asked him about, like, if he's anticipated what the opening ceremonies will be like. And he's like, hey, I don't know if there's... I mean, there's rumors of, like, boats, and, yeah. like, he's like, I just want the gear. I just want the Team USA gear. <laughs> I've, like, I, every time I watch an Olympics, I'm like, that is awesome. I want that. Now you get it. So for the both of you, have you gone down that path of envisioning what the opening ceremonies will be like? And if so, what have those thoughts been like? Clayton, you first. Yeah, like, I filled out the Team USA paperwork yesterday, and it's asking for all your sizes, and that's pretty <laughs> exciting. Like, oh, man, am I a medium or a small? And, and uh, like, just figuring that out is pretty cool. As for the opening ceremonies, you're right. Like, I think that the idea is to have a boat tour down the river. And um, I, you know, it's going to be hard because the, the Olympic marathon is the last event. And, and you know, the opening ceremonies are going to be 10 to 14 days before, maybe more. Yeah. And so we're going to have to maybe figure out how to get out there, but then how to still do quality training and not get too much into the hype of the Olympic Games. But obviously, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Hopefully, we do it again in four years, but no guarantees. So we, we're going to have to strike this balance of enjoying it, but also being ready for the marathon at the end of the race. Coach Eistone knows where all the places are to run over there. Yeah. So he can, <laughs> yeah, good point. He can get you out of the Olympic Village and, and yeah. onto a course of some sort. Um, there have been a lot of accounts of, of this race that's getting you to Paris. Um, and, and one that I read is that, that, Connor, you had some struggles in that race. Yeah. And you motivated him to keep going, which is what friends do, even when they're competing against each other. What were those moments like, and how valuable was this guy? Yeah, Clayton was insanely valuable. Knowing, you know, I've trained with him, I know what he's going to do, I know how he runs, was super, super helpful to get me through those tough moments. Um, what, I, what I was struggling with was just the unknown. Mm -hmm. um, the marathon started to get difficult, yeah. and it was, I knew, you know, I had a nightmare the night before I didn't finish. And I was like, I don't want to have that happen where I am you know, this close to making the Olympic team. And right. so I, I, let it, I let Clayton know. I was like, look, I'm, I'm struggling is what I said. And I was like, I'm just going to run behind you. That way I don't have to think about dictating the pace. I just can run behind you. And mm. um, kind of reminded me of one of our, our, our last 25-mile long run before we, we competed. Clayton, when he says, when you hear him say, I'm struggling yeah. in this giant moment, what do you think? Yeah, I think I was I was at first like a little shocked because you never know with Connor Mance how he's feeling. He's, he he wears the pain on his face all the time. Better than everybody, Better right? Than everybody. Better than everyone. It's, it's like playing poker with him. You never know what's in his hands, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, as soon as he said that to me, I was I was 100% on board. And you know, I I didn't really care about how we would finish. I just knew that I wanted him with me in, to Paris. Like that's our best team forward. And so I did everything I could. In fact, I was yelling stuff at him, and, and truth be told, he probably didn't hear half of it or any <laughs> the, of it. The crowds were so loud. It was so loud. But I was trying to motivate him, inspire him, saying, hey, tuck in. Hey, we got this. Hey, stay on me. In fact, there were some cool uh, street signs along the path that I'd kind of named in honor of, like, uh, here's Mills, which is Greg Mills, like one mile to go. Here's Liberty, like talk about freedom and patriotism, like let's finish this. Here's Lake Loop, which is a famous... Sure, you're giving a yeah, tour of the yeah, city yeah, yeah. while you're running through it. And it, it was just this <laughs> moment where, you know, I don't really care what happens. And then it transitioned, it transitioned into me celebrating and just trying to enjoy every moment of it. Um, and once we had heard we were 30, 40 seconds on third place, it was like awesome. Then you knew the two of you were going to finish one, yeah. two. And I, sh I should note that, like, our histories in the marathon are pretty similar in the sense that we've both had marathons that have gone bad really quickly. And so as Connor said, like, 
hey, I'm not feeling well with two miles to go, that's a long time in a marathon. You know, I have, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I collapsed with 300 meters to go oh. in the Chicago Marathon yeah. three times and, you know, added minutes to my time, faded from sixth place to 13th place. So, like, a lot can go wrong in a marathon late. Uh, and so as soon as Connor said that, I was like, what, what do we got to do? Like, let's, let's just make it happen because obviously I want to go with him. Clayton Young and Connor Manser with us on BYU Sports Station. So great to have two now soon-to-be Olympians on Team USA running in the marathon. Let's get you a dream catcher, too, to keep those nightmares right. away, okay? Good point. Okay. I think we can find one of those on Amazon somewhere you can take with you to Paris. Pretty sure I made one in third grade. So. <laughs> Dig it, it up out of the yeah, memory box. I love that. As you think about Paris, and I don't know if you've been given any details as to what the track will look like or what it's going to be. I would imagine it's going to be through all of the history of, of Paris. You're running through the Champs-Élysées and like there's, you know, the Eiffel Tower. Um, what are your goals there? Because it's going to be a huge moment. It's so fun to like be in the moment and take it in. But what are, you, what are your goals for each of you in that race? Connor, we'll start with you. I think a big thing is we, we, I try not to focus on these outcome goals, try to, you know, work on more, uh, I don't know, like goals that you work on. While you, I, I, I'm trying to say not performance goals, just, um, but I just want to make sure I get there, and, you know, in the best shape I can be and go out and compete um, the best way I can, whether that makes me, you know, end up 10th place or 20th place or, you know, fighting for a medal. I just want to make sure I'm out there competing to my my best the best of my abilities okay Clayton same question for you yeah I think for me like when you talk about the Paris course it's actually going to be very hilly and it's going to be pretty hot and humid which is actually pretty good for Connor and I it really levels the playing field and and really allows us to compete on the world stage and so I don't want to put it outside my mind that I could do well especially given how I performed in Orlando in the heat and humidity um I, I can't help but think of Jared Ward, who took six in the Rio games. Which and, was and, amazing. An incredible performance yeah. by him. Uh, really exceeded everybody's expectations. And so, you know, deep down, it's like, oh, I'd be cool to beat Jared Ward's sixth-place finish. Um, but like Connor said, we're going to focus on the process from here on out mm. and see what happens. I think we have a great opportunity in Paris. Uh, we're going to do some recon on the course. We're going to prepare all we can and, and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, maybe deep down in the back of our minds, if it doesn't suck us out, we'll, we'll – shoot for a medal. Dave, would you encourage them to grow mustaches like Jared Ward? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's, that's just gets a, you need to stay wind resistant. Right, right. Uh, you don't need any of that. Um, you guys have run for yourselves. You've certainly run for BYU. You know what that's like. Now you get to run for the United States. Uh, what, what emotions come to mind? A lot. My heart just like went, you know, um, it, it's pretty special. You know, I, I love being a part of this country, and I, I love the blessings that come with it. So it's something that words can't describe. Mm. Connor? Yeah, I think about all of the other previous Olympians that I've looked up to throughout the years, the United States Olympians, and, and just those moments as a child sitting in front of the TV watching, you know, Michael Phelps or, or Apollo yeah. Antonono, or like these moments in my mind that have been throughout my life, and, and now I'm that guy, more or less. And... Uh, now we're watching you. Yeah, we're watching Clayton Young and Connor Mance. Uh, but, yeah, it means the world. And, uh, you know, I still can't get used to the title Clayton Young 
Olympian. Like that's just weird to me. And uh, but we're gonna embrace it, and, and we're much more than that. But it's pretty neat. Hey, and you know what's great about those titles is after the Olympics, you get to keep them, <laughs> like forever. <laughs> that's right. Olympic runner. Uh, that also entitles us to interview you as many times as we want after the Olympics. Sounds so, great. Buckle up, boys. Sounds good. <laughs> You're coming back to Studio B at some point for sure. Congratulations again. Thanks. Um, we, Thank you. We, just we know how much I mean we like to think we know how much hard work goes into it yeah you know, we see it we admire it but only you know what what's actually gone into it you deserve all this Thank appreciate you. it thanks for having us on yeah you got it BYU's a running school Dave we'll see you guys on NBC I guess right we'll <laughs> yeah. see you at the Olympics fantastic here's a programming note BYU basketball ranked 21st in the country We've got Kansas State Saturday night it's a late one pregame coverage starts at 9 Eastern on BYU TV and BYU radio Blaine Kristen Tyler and I will be in studio. Spencer will be courtside. We're going to have a pretty good time starting Saturday night at 9 Eastern. Let's go. Coop's trying to get to 5-5. Five and five. And speaking of BYU men's basketball, how many more wins do they need to secure to lock in NCAA tournament status? This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media for content throughout the day on Facebook, X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Welcome back to Studio B. I'm Spencer. He is Dave. Let's get to our headlines. Women's basketball upset number 18, Baylor 78-66 last night. They're now 13-11 overall. 3-8 the Big 12. Lauren Gustin, 23 points, 16 boards, 22 double-doubles now on the season. Number one in the country in rebounds and double-doubles. Amari Whiting. Not sure, nearly got her first triple-double in women's basketball history. 14 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds. Wow. Spencer and Kristen were on the call. It was a fun one to watch. First win over a ranked team in the Amber Whiting era. Now they're heading to the airport and flying to Cincinnati for a big one on Saturday. Next four games for BYU Women's Hoops, all winnable games. This is move time if they want to get at those standings. Number 8, BYU Men's Volleyball hosting Long Island tonight at the Smithfield House. The first of two meetings between... The two schools, the other will happen on Saturday night. You can watch both matches live on BYU TV tonight at 9 Eastern. Tips it off. It's opening day for BYU softball, and the Cougars begin their season in Hawaii. They'll play a doubleheader. Missouri, Kansas City's first. Ole Miss is second. We're going to hear from head coach Gordon Eakin from Hawaii in just a few minutes. On to Cougars and Pro Hoops and their weekly updates. Yoli Childs had double-doubles in back-to-back games, averaging 17 points and 12 and a half rebounds for the Saga Ballooners in Japan. Alex Barcelo, 29 points, 3 rebounds for the Guk Gipozkoa in Spain. Of course it is. Elijah Bryant, 15 points, had 6 rebounds for Anadolu Efes in Turkey in the EuroLeague. And Zach Saiz scored 12 points for the Würzburg Baskets in Germany. Nice. Nicely done. Thank you. Former BYU pitcher Michael Rucker traded from the Cubs to the Phillies this week. As a middle reliever, he went 5-2 with a 4.96 ERA. One save in 96 games with Chicago. He joins Bryce Harper and the world champions. Now there's two Latter-day Saint baseball players in the same locker room. I don't know we've had that for a long, long time. <laughs> and we texted back and forth this week, and I said, I said, Ruck, uh, the only time the McCanns will be cheering for the Phillies is when you're pitching and when Harper is hitting. And he said those are, those are stipulations he could look Okay, he can work with that. Those are today's headlines. <laughs> 
Now we whip it. The Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. I'll start us off. Actually, Dave, you start us off. This last night's win over 18th-ranked Baylor changed the expectations for women's hoops for the remainder of the season. It certainly helps them build some confidence before they go on a road swing that begins at Cincinnati, then at UCF, then BYU's home to host Kansas and TCU. These are all bottom half teams in the Big 12. BYU can win three of the next four. Man, that would be huge to help them gain some confidence going into the Big 12 tournament. And certainly, they wouldn't be finishing lower than where they were picked to finish in the preseason projections of number 11. I like Gustin in the rematch against Kansas in that 6-6 center. Let's go. Let's go. All right, ESPN's John Gassaway has an NCAA tournament bubble tracker with locks, should be in, and work to do categories. He has BYU in the should be in category at the moment. How many more wins does BYU men's basketball need to get or earn to be in the lock for the tournament category? They're getting close. Still that number eight net ranking today is a, is a great indicator. I think home wins over Kansas State and UCF okay. and Baylor. Those are three of their next four games. Defend the home floor against those three, and you are locked in. BYU needs eight conference wins, so four more, and I think they're an absolute lock. You know, eight and ten might not be a five or six seed, but it would lock them into the tournament. They're close for sure. College basketball analytics guru Evan Mayakawa ranked the most impactful transfers in college basketball this season. BYU's Ali Khalifa, number 10 on that list. How important is it for the Cougars to keep Khalifa healthy the remainder of the season? Well, I think we saw what happens when Ali Khalifa is not available and a team has time to kind of get used to BYU playing with Foose over two games and develop a game plan. And that's what Oklahoma did. They they kind of figured out how to slow down BYU from the three-point line. Ali Khalifa really is the key, along with Dallin Hall, to opening up all the space for BYU shooters on the floor. Foose is a weapon for sure, but he, he has a totally different skill set than Khalifa. So they need Ali if they want to continue to shoot this high percentage barrage of three-pointers because of the space that his passing capability brings to BYU's whole approach. So, I mean, we want to quantify how important it is. I think it's the difference between probably one or two more wins this season if he's not on the floor. Could be those shooters need to be able to shoot and cut to the basket and the, the middle's open when Khalifa's out there at the top of the key. And then when Foose is in, they have an insight. Game. Yeah. And uh, the emergence of his health might mean a little bit more than Khalifa at this point. He's been dominating the last couple of games. And two different game plans for two different big men when you face BYU for sure. That's a boost for BYU. On this week's Deep Blue podcast, Jason Shepard going to sit down with BYU quarterback Jake Retzlaff. Jake talks about his journey from losing a scholarship at UTEP to getting a chance at BYU. And we'll learn about what it's like to be Jewish at a predominantly Christian school. Listen, wherever you get your podcasts. It's opening day for BYU softball. Up next, I go one-on-one to preview the season with head coach Gordon Eakin from Paradise. He's in Hawaii. They want wins in Paradise. This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. BYU Sports Nation continues live from Studio B. Along with Dave McCann, I'm Spencer Linton. Yesterday, I had a chance to speak with the head coach of BYU softball, Gordon Eakin, as he prepares for another season. The Cougars are in Hawaii. Here's my one-on-one with the coach before BYU opens the season against UMKC and Ole Miss today. It is now time we officially start the BYU softball season, and why not do it in Hawaii? Coach Gordon Eakin with us. Coach, uh, paradise to begin, but... 
as we always say, it's it's a business trip. So how do you get your team ready mentally, knowing that we're going to Hawaii, which is awesome, but hey, we got to win some games. Yeah, well, we've talked about it nonstop. We've uh, encouraged them to enjoy this wonderful opportunity here in this great state, but we've also said we're here for softball, and and so we've limited their sun time and uh, you know tried to keep them safe in their in the water excursions that they do and so we are we're focused on softball and I think this is a pretty mature group I think we'll be okay well and you're going to rely on that maturity as you head into the big 12 like the big 12 competition it won't be anything new per se because you typically challenge yourself so much in in non-conference but the fact that you are now in a power conference and uh, there are no quote-unquote gimmies how how have things changed for you in preparation maybe going from the West Coast Conference to the Big 12 slate um, after what's going to be another challenging non-conference schedule? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You you can talk about it a lot, and we have, and we've had the luxury of using, you know, other sports going into the Big 12 and their successes and failures as an example. Uh, Currently with basketball, basketball's doing great, playing great ball, and but it is a dogfight every single night. So we use those. We use those examples with the team and we don't let them lose sight of some nights where teams are going to take it to us and we have to be resilient and come right back, bounce right back the next day or the next inning or whatever that requires. So, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but there's no, um, there's no exchange for the experience that you'll go through. So that's going to be huge for us this year as a program. Where do you feel like your team has grown the most from last season to this season? Again, as you get ready for what's going to be top to bottom, the the most difficult gauntlet you've ever faced as a softball program. Well, uh, last year, we, at times, as you know, um, we started six and seven freshmen. And so those freshmen um, really gained a lot of experience last year. And now they're, they're, I'm not sure I'd call them veterans, but they're certainly much more prepared to go out and face that gauntlet than they, than they would have been prepared last year. And, and then we have some great lead, senior leadership as well with, you know, Violet Zvodnik, Hunter Ava, Maddie Bejarano, Chloe Temples, um, Macy Simmons. We, just, we have some good senior leadership. So I think we're well-rounded as a team. I think we're, um, we've been through these experiences before. Uh, not weekend after weekend after weekend. And that's going to be the learning curve part. But as you look at a player like Chloe Temples, um, it's so important to have a reliable, really strong pitching staff. How does she fit into that this year for BYU softball? Well, she's our veteran, you know, being a senior and uh, she's been through it before. And, and when, when Chloe's on, she's very good. And she's, she's much healthier this year. Um, But when you get past Chloe, we're very young as a staff with Case and getting a lot of work last year as a freshman, but um, we have three other freshmen coming in that will get some mound time. And then a junior that's been hurt for two years with uh, Alyssa Aguilar that, um, you know, she's still not a lot of game time. And um, so we're, we're just young as a team and, uh, on the mound we're young as a team on the mound and that's probably the area we're going to have to grow the fastest managing expectations with all of those things you just talked about is always a tricky beast 
So how, how do you do that as a head coach, knowing that, man, the schedule is going to get tougher. We are a year older, but we're still young, specifically in the pitching group. So how do you, how does that impact your expectations for this team? My expectations are very high. You know, I, uh, that's just who we are as a program. Our expectations are we perform at a high level and we use no excuses, whether it's youth or injuries or anything else. Our expectations are we're going to go out and win every game we play. And um, then beyond that, beyond that expectation is that you have to be resilient, especially in a conference like the Big 12, where you can take somebody's best punch and you can pick yourself back up and, and win again. So I wouldn't say... We're certainly not going into the Big 12 with any um, aspirations that it's okay to just go through a learning curve. That's not who we are. Uh, we'll finish with this as we look ahead to what you're about to face, which is uh, the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and then you get Ole Miss, Nevada, UMKC one more time, and then you close out with Hawaii. So uh, what's, I guess, the scouting report first and foremost on UMKC, the, the first game of the season? Yeah, I mean, every every team you play in Division One, as you know, is capable of beating you. And and there's been a lot of talk among the team and the coaching staff about Old Miss, and I I cautioned them this morning. I said, our first game's UMKC, and we're not going to overlook them and just talk about Old Miss. It's one game at a time, one inning at a time, one pitch at a time, and when we're done with that, we'll move on to Old Miss. But for an opening weekend, um, the the competition is is uh, going to be really intense and good, and my expectations are that we'll we'll be successful one pitch at a time this weekend. Um, before I let you go, I do need to compliment the BYU softball team specifically for their support of their other sports in the program. Like without fail, the softball team was always first on location at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and led by Violet yeah. Zapodnik. And I mean that. I don't know what's what's going on, but like the dedication there to support the other sports is noteworthy. Yeah, well, they're they're just definitely bought into BYU, and they love everything about BYU. They they love the other teams at BYU. They love the leadership of of our AD and our associate AD, and you know Brian and Tom come sit in our dugout, and and when they do that and interact with the girls, it just it invests the girls in everything that we do. So. We have great leadership, and then they think you're all right too. I, I don't know why, but they, they kind of <laughs> like you, and um, so I think it's just they just are really bought into BYU as a whole. Uh, I've, I've tricked them, and I, I'm I'm glad. <laughs> oh, I kid. No, they're they're great athletes. Um, it, it's a pleasure to support uh, such a great women's program at BYU, and do need to give a shout out to uh, to Violet Zavodnik because she typically she's leading that charge and. And, and frankly, I should ask you, like, what what are your expectations for Violet this year? Is she really is like that wily veteran for your team? Yeah, I mean, Violet is last year before all of her injuries, string of injuries last year, she was the 28th ranked player in the country, uh, just an exceptional talent. And so we will we will go as far as a kid like Violet Zbodnik takes us. She she's a game changer, and so she's a uh, centerpiece in center field and cornerstone of our team and can't say enough about her great kid but she's she's an all-american waiting to have that year and i think this is the year 
Cannot wait to watch you compete uh, against UMKC to begin, and then we'll get to Ole Miss, as you mentioned. But uh, super stoked and excited for the BYU softball season to begin. We'll be streaming it. I'm sure everybody will be jealous watching you play in Hawaii, but we certainly will be enjoying some high-level softball. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, I don't think any of it's streamed here, so you might just have to watch those little stick people run around the bases. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. We'll find a way. Thanks, Coach. Okay. All right. Thank you. So a whole week of virgin lava flows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just win, win some games and the reward is then you can go have your drinks on the beach, right? Yeah, I love what he said about Violet Zabodnik. Here's the radar, and she's way down here in the Big 12, but she's this kind of player. Yeah. I think a big comeback year for her. And as he said, they're healthy. Knock on wood. They're, they are a healthy team this year, and they were very much not that going into the season last year. That will make a huge difference when BYU now goes into one of the best, if not the best, softball conference in America. Yeah. And despite how it looks in Provo, it's the first day of spring because it's softball. And then baseball's next week. So It's here. The spring, the spring Ready or not, it's here. Are coming. Indoors tonight, it'll be hot. It won't be Hawaii, but it'll be hot in the Smith Fieldhouse. Number eight, BYU taking on Long Island, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Jerem Jordan, Steve Bale on the call right here on BYU TV. Today's Rise and Shout Out, well, typically they go to great wins or great players. Maybe we should combine both of those for this. Great idea. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station with our question of the day. We want you to call your shots. We've been discussing probabilities and likelihoods. So what's the most unlikely thing that BYU men's basketball will do in the back half of Big 12 basketball play? Addison Glick on X says, win the conference. Okay. Whoa. That would be unexpected. Okay. That's probably going to mean that BYU needs to go at least 8-1 and one in the back nine. Okay. Starts on Saturday. <laughs> it starts on Saturday. Our elite voice of the day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevator from Tyler Keel on X. I like this one. He says, beat Kansas in Lawrence. They had a lot of close games in Lawrence. Okay. Yeah, that's a death trap typically for road teams, but just maybe. BYU does what they did at Gonzaga, and they get the win. Today's Rise Shadow presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. Who gets it, Dave? Barn Gustin gets it in our last two games against top 20 teams, number four, Kansas State, number 18, Baylor. How about this? 48 points, oh. 37 rebounds. Unbelievable. Our thanks to today's guests, Connor Mance, Clayton Young, and Gordon Eakin. Conversation continues 24-7 on all our social media outlets. For Dave, I'm Spencer. Shout-out to Janine Utley. We'll see you tonight for BYU Men's Volleyball at 9 Eastern. Go Cougs!